Welcome to the Reclaim Your Truth podcast. My name is Kimberly Moriarty and I'm a coach. And this podcast is dedicated to the process of reclaiming the truth that resides in us all. By getting alignment with the self that knows you have within you all you need to create the life you were born to live. So join me as I share some of my own experiences and insights and those of others who have transformed their lives against all odds. This podcast is for those who are ready to step into the lives they were born to lead. So come, let's take this step together. Hello my lovelies and welcome to another episode. May peace be upon you. This week I want to share a bit more about my journey because this podcast is named Reclaim Your Truth. And this name came to me back when I was trying to decide what to call my coaching business. And I was thinking about the journey that I've been on um, and how for most of my life I've kind of had this deep sense that I wasn't the person I was meant to be. And there were times when I almost felt like a stranger to myself. And, you know, and I felt like my childhood experiences had really changed who I was innately. And now I realise that that wasn't really the case at all. Who I am innately has always been there. The life's experience... You know, it hasn't changed me, but it has led me to think, act, and just be a certain way. And that has caused me suffering. And that suffering is what has helped me break free. And it has helped me start this process of, of what I call reclaiming your truth. And I do apologise in advance because this will probably just be one long story. And I am a bit of a storyteller. You know, I'm, I'm Irish and I'm Māori and, you know, we're cultures that love to tell a good yarn. Um, so I want to share the one area of my life that has, you know, caused me the most pain, the most struggle. And it seems to have been the hardest uh, to let go of. And that's been my fear of abandonment and loneliness and, you know, to some extent, separation anxiety. So in the first episode, I shared a little bit about my childhood and I explained that there was a lot of instability. You know, my parents were married young. They had a very volatile uh, relationship. Um, My mum was deeply unhappy and she had a lot of her own pain that she was dealing with. And at the time, you know, her her way of dealing with with it was to numb it with alcohol and drugs and my mum would go to a lot of parties and she would leave me with family members. And sometimes she would disappear for weeks. You know, she'd be off on one of her binges. And then she would come back to collect me when she, when she could or when she was finished, I imagine. And I don't actually have a lot of memories of my father during this time, but I do remember my mum leaving me and spending a great deal of time crying for her you know, waiting for her to come get me. And during this period, my mum was also uh, hanging around with gang members and she got involved with a particularly vile and violent man who we ended up living with. I'm not actually sure of the exact circumstances of this arrangement, but I do recall me and my mum being unable to leave the house and his mum actually trying to help us escape. And he ended up breaking, uh, I think it might have been my mum's leg or her arm, and she was admitted to hospital. And she told the staff about what was happening, 
and they admitted me to hospital also. You know, they said I had asthma and I needed to be monitored. And from there, social services got involved and I was put in foster care at the age of three. And I went through two families, I believe, during that nine months. And, you know, I, I actually do remember a lot about it. I mean, I have vague memories about the first family. But with my second family, I was probably with them for the majority of that time. I used to sleep in their wash house at the back of the house on a little fold-out bed. And I remember dark nights, you know, looking out the window at the stars and hoping that my mum was looking at the same stars so that we would be together. It was like a scene out of, um, I don't know what that movie's called, about that little mouse, Faisal, who leaves his family. And, you know, I would sing... I would sing to myself the songs that she used to sing to me. Uh, she used to sing to me, You Are My Sunshine. So I would sing that to myself and I would cry myself to sleep. And the trauma of this time really left a lasting impression. You know, it, it wounded me really deeply emotionally. And eventually my mum got back together with my dad and they got me back. But life with them was never stable. You know, I loved my mum so much. And I remember times after that where I would stay with other people and having so much anxiety from, you know, being away from her and feeling like I'd never see her again. And that feeling, you know, that lasted with me till adulthood. And not so much now, but I still have a very strong attachment to my mum in a lot of different ways. But my mum and dad ended up separating anyway when I was six. And my mum met my stepdad, who was extremely violent to her, and he would beat her often. And I went to live with my grandmother. And, you know, she offered me stability that I really needed at that time. But it was really difficult for me, you know, to be a seven-year-old by that time and being away from my mum. I felt very misunderstood as a child. And it was hard. It was really hard. You know, I had so many emotions. I missed my mum. I had no control over my life. I was angry. And I was sad. And I had no one to talk to about all these things that I just didn't understand. And I would often get in trouble if I missed my mum. You know, I wasn't allowed to cry. So I learnt the skill of crying quietly. And I would often cry myself to sleep, just praying and waiting for the day that I could be with my mum again. And actually, thinking back, I'm not even sure how I coped with so much raw emotion in me. You know, it's probably why I cried so bloody much well into my adult years. And I actually had this memory once of, must have been about eight or nine, and I smashed my room up. And I tried to do it as quietly as possible. Um, and it's quite difficult when you're in a rage. <laughs> but trying to do something so you you don't get caught yeah it was it was hard but now fast forward to 16 you know I was still actually living with my grandmother at this stage um but by now my mum had also come to live with us so I had my mum in the home with me and for the most part apart from my school friends you know my world revolved around my mum as it does when you're a child um and then I Actually, not fast forward to 16, 15. At 15, I met my first boyfriend, and he was 20. 
at the time and it was the first time anyone had really given me any attention you know I had grown up thinking I was fat I wasn't as pretty as other people you know that's just the narrative I was told growing up um, and at the age of 16 I moved out of home to live with him you know I worked two jobs to pay my rent and I still went to high school when I could discipline myself <laughs> to not stay at home and my first relationship was really where these fears, you know, I didn't even realise it had started to surface. I became an extremely possessive and controlling girlfriend. Um, you know, we were together for seven years and bless him, I don't even know how he survived those years because he definitely bore the brunt of my toxic behaviour. Um, you know, we quickly became quite codependent. Um, his life revolved around me and I treated him like a father. I expected him to take care of me and pretty much cater to my every demand. And I would feel threatened any time a girl would speak to him, when I thought I would catch him looking at someone else. Uh, I would even get jealous of him watching someone attractive on television. You know, everything was a threat to me, a threat that might take him away. And I needed to control the environment, you know, I needed to control him. And that led to behaviours I'm even embarrassed to admit now but I was emotionally and mentally and physically abusive to him um, he was in an abusive relationship and I was the perpetrator and he was the victim and it wasn't until one day after I'd taken it too far with the mental abuse and I was physically pushing him around trying to get a reaction um, and he burst out crying like uncontrollably uncontrollably and it really took me by surprise and I was absolutely disgusted in myself and all I could think was oh my god I've turned into my father and from that day I swore to myself that I, I was going to change you know I couldn't believe that I had treated someone that loved me so much with, with so much disrespect and you know I'd taken out on him a lot of the pain that I, I was feeling that I didn't even understand and of course I didn't change overnight, you know, it was it would take many more relationships um, to see what was really going on with me. And it wasn't always like that in my other relationships. Sometimes I would be the one being emotionally and mentally abused. And I remember my second relationship being so deeply unhappy, but having this absolute feeling of like powerlessness to leave the relationship. Because, you know, it, it would be worse to be alone. And this is also something that showed up in my life a lot. And, you know, was another symptom of a deeper issue. You know, I often stayed in relationships way past their use-by date. You know, even when everything was telling me to leave. And, you know, over this time I, I studied psychology. I, you know, studied psycho psychotherapy. I did my own therapy. And slowly I began to understand myself and, you know, why I'd done some of the things I'd done. And I realised that the truth was that I was looking for a parent figure in my partners. You know, I was expecting someone else to make me happy because I was so deeply unhappy in myself. And I was a bit like a toddler, you know. I expected them to cater to my every want and need and totally abandon their own needs like a doting parent. You know, I was wanting someone to give me the parenting 
the love, the safety I never had. And I had this tremendous fear that they would abandon me and, you know, leave me like my own parents did. And this was literally my relationship cycle from the age of 15 to 36, I would say. I'm on the, I'm on the um, cusp of turning 39, so it was a good 22, 22 years, you know, and six boyfriends later. And during those years, like, no matter who I was with, no matter how loving they were, no matter how much attention they gave me, I always felt so alone. Like, they would just never understand me. Like, they didn't really love me. Like, they, they would leave me eventually. You know, I'd spend nights awake, silently crying next to whichever man it was lying next to me. Just buying into thoughts that I had that, you know, that I was alone. And I would just feel like that three-year-old kid again. You know, alone scared in a dark room just waiting for her mum to come and get her and it was agonizing to feel that way for so many years and I hated it I just didn't know how to heal myself of the pain and it wasn't probably until last year maybe during the first lockdown in the UK that I started to look more into like inner child work and I started to understand the needs of this little girl who still resided in me. And, you know, I began to understand that it was me she needed. You know, not some man, not parents who could never be more than who they are. She needed me to step up and look after her. You know, she needed me to calm her down when she panicked. When she panicked that he would leave. She needed me to sit with her and tell her that it would be okay. And one night last year, a couple of months after I'd started this kind of journey of my inner child work, my partner decided he wanted to go out to a club with a mate. You know, and he'd never done this before while we'd been together. And because in my old, but now undercover controlling manner, you know, we were always out together. But I didn't want to go out. But I was terrified of him going out without me. And... I realised that this was my chance. It was my chance to stand up to my fear, to my pain, and to just sit with my child. And I told my partner to go out without me. And he was hesitant because he knows, and you know, I've been quite open with him about you know the journey and, and how I had been feeling and all of that stuff. But I told him, you know, he had to go because I needed to be able to accept um, you know, him having his own life being able to do what he wanted without me getting so upset and thinking the worst. And when he left the house, I felt the fear creep in, you know, the incessant thoughts of who he might meet, what he might do, that he didn't love me, he would leave me. And I felt my little girl start to panic and get scared. And so I sat with her and we cried together. And we cried for the times that she felt the pain and the loneliness that I could feel coming from her. And then I made a vow to her that I would always be there for her. You know, that I'd never leave her alone again in the dark of that washing room. And that I was there for her now. And I got out my guitar 
and I played to her and we sang and then we went to sleep. And the next day I remember still feeling a bit wounded but I felt free. And what I realised all this time was that I never allowed myself to sit with the pain of what I felt as a child. You know, it was always something I was trying to resist instead of just allowing it to flow. That night was truly liberating for me because I realised that I was really all that I needed. You know, to face my pain, accept it and just let it flow. Let it flow through me without attaching all these thoughts and these stories to that feeling. And to be honest, I actually haven't battled with those feelings of loneliness at all since. And I have begun to, you know, I've began to spend more time with myself than I ever did in the past, you know, and I feel a real peace that I never had before. Before I used to be someone that used to fill up all their spare time. I, I don't think I ever liked being in my own presence. I didn't like the thoughts that would come up. So I would just make myself really, really busy. So I didn't have to deal with that stuff. And I'm also very much aware kind of like of the role my thoughts have to play in feeding the emotion. You know, I don't entertain thoughts about how lonely my childhood was. It was how it was, you know, and I've come to accept it and move on. You know, it, it isn't my reality now. They are memories. And if I entertain these types of thoughts, the more I am just allowing myself to feel something that isn't relevant for me anymore. And I think that has been the real kind of the other liberating kind of fact, not fact, but practice, you know, when I catch myself and, and not just in this area, but a lot of different areas in my life. When I catch myself getting into a stream of thought, especially about the past. You know, I, I kind of realised that it's not necessary. I'm not, I don't need to relive the past. Um, Eckhart Tolle, I know I spoke about him in, in my previous podcast, but I've been reading his book, New Earth, like over and over, and I've been listening to the podcast with him and Oprah Winfrey, and I've just found it so eye-opening. You know, there's a lot of truth in it for me. He talks about this concept of the pain body in his book which he basically explains is like the accumulation of old emotional pain that an individual carries around in their energy field. And it's usually the remnants of pain left behind by, you know, strong negative emotions, which haven't been fully faced, accepted or, or you know, and then let go of. And, you know, there's, there's this unwillingness in the human mind to let go of the past. And it's the recalling of these past memories which kind of helps feed the pain body and it keeps it alive. And he actually ties this into the ego and that's really a conversation for another episode. But I think he explains it beautifully. So, you know, if you want some more information, I really um, encourage you to either look it up on you know Google or get the book because it really makes a lot of sense. And I guess, you know, the road to reclaiming my truth, it's an ongoing process. You know, I might be triggered by things again in the future. But the main thing for me is, you know, having awareness of myself, 
and allowing myself to feel the feelings I have associated with these memories, but not identifying with the thoughts because they create this cycle. You know, I, I've let go of the fear, I've let go of the pain and I've let go of the past. It's not who I am, it's just something I've experienced. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You may or may not relate to it, or you may know someone who might relate to it. And in that case, please do share it with them. Um, you know, if you have anything you want to ask me, if you have any comments, reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook at Reclaim Your Truth. Otherwise, I wish you a blessed day wherever you are. I hope you were happy. I hope you were safe. I hope you were loved. I hope you were grateful. And I will see you. Well, I will talk to you this time next week. So take care of you. Stay blessed.